chick. There it is. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Come on in, have a seat. It's my pleasure to welcome you to our worship gathering this morning. And we want to declare God's welcome over you. No matter who you are, no matter who you love, no matter where you're from, what you look like, or how much faith you have, you are welcome here today. And as a part of our desire to seek right relationship between the church and First Nations, we also want to say that we acknowledge we are gathering here on the traditional unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nation. So friends, I don't know how you find yourself today, what you have, what you're bringing with you in your heart. But just as we welcomed you today, I want to say that you get to welcome all of what you're bringing today, that, that it belongs here in this place before God. You don't have to put on your church face. You don't have to pretend that you're not worried. <laughs> you don't have to even contain your joy if you're feeling joy today. All of who you are and what you have in your heart belongs here in this room, in this community, in this moment. So friends, can I invite you to stand with me, please? And I'll say a brief prayer of welcome to the Spirit, and then we'll sing in response to God's goodness, okay? Let's pray. May we experience your welcome of us, God, this morning. And may we welcome you more fully into our lives and our community. May we be surprised by your goodness and your love for us today. May you open our eyes and our hearts to see how very good you are. We give you our worship. We return to you our love for you loved us first. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, oh, a little more enthusiastic. Amen. All right, let's sing. Welcome to church, everybody. So Andrew gets the uh, gets a Sunday off and and you get the old guys, which we uh, we were you know working on our band name today. We decided we were gonna go with old gold, but then maybe we thought we should go with tarnished gold, because we're a little bit out of practice and my eyes are blurry and I can't see the song sheets. So if you hear a chord that doesn't seem right, it's because it's small and blurry. But. It's the chord I chose, and we're going with it. <clears throat> All right, let's worship together. Hungry 
I come to you, for I know you satisfied. I am empty, but I know your love does not run dry. And so I wait for you. And so I wait for you. I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me. And Jesus, you're all this heart is living for. to it. I'm, I just don't know how else to play it. So here it goes. It's been magnified. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh,
to applaud for that. You just go ahead and do that because it was pretty awesome. I mean, it wasn't exactly a performance, but there was lots to appreciate there. It's nice to have, uh, yeah, it's nice to have all of you guys. 
Old gold. That's, that's awesome. So friends, I just want to tell you, remind you perhaps, that Lent is starting this Wednesday. Lent uh, is the 40 plus 5 Sundays time period before Easter when we enter into this sacred time of preparation for, um, of fellowshipping with the suffering and resurrection of Jesus. Traditionally, the church adopts certain practices, um, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, which is like tithing, basically. That's sort of the traditional, three traditional practices. Sometimes you hear people talk about giving up something for Lent, like giving up chocolate or, or junk food or something. So I want to invite us to adopt some practices during Lent as well, but they're less about giving up something, less about doing something, and actually more about creating space for something. Um, there's this great quote from Henry Nouwen, which I think maybe is on the next slide, Jan. In the spiritual life, the word discipline means to prevent everything in your life from being filled up. To create that space in which something can happen that you hadn't planned or counted on. Creating space, doing less, going slower. That's what I want to invite you to consider as we journey through Lent together as a community. And so the practices that we're going to offer um, are going to be focused on our... Um, our core values, which actually reflect who, who God is. So these aren't just good ideas that we, th we thought we wanted to be like this as a church. These are our core convictions actually about who God is. So presence, compassion, and generosity. We want to invite you to take time to incorporate those core values. And we're going to give you some really specific things to do. We're going to spend two weeks on presence, two weeks on compassion, and two weeks on generosity. If you want to be kind of reminded or get a little encouragement on your Lent journey, then let us know, and we will be sending you every Monday of Lent a little reminder, a little reflection. Um, you can email us at lifeatcapchurch.ca if you want to be included in that. But here is the practice that I want to invite you to take in, if you want, for this next week or two. So when we, at the end of our gathering today, you will find in the offering basket some little yellow dots. These dots are a reminder for you to practice presence. So take a dot, if you like, out of the offering basket when it comes later, later on in the service, and put it somewhere where you feel like you might need to be reminded of presence. So I'm going to take mine and put it right on my phone, <laughs> right in the way. Um, every time you see that yellow dot, maybe you want to put it on your computer at work. Maybe you want to put it on your steering wheel. Maybe there's a place where you want to be reminded that God is present. This is going to be your you are here dot. Wherever you want to put it, put it there and let it remind you that, that God is here. When you see that dot, just take another breath. Take an inhale and an exhale and say, you are here. Make that a prayer to God. And then maybe even tell yourself to be present. You are here, self. Be fully present here. Make sense? Your presence dot. 
We're going to do that for a couple of weeks. Or maybe you want this to be your practice for all of Lent. Uh, we'll give you some more practices as, as the weeks go on. But for the next couple of weeks, practice presence. And maybe you want to use this dot as a way of inviting yourself to remember that God is here and that you are fully present in this moment. All right. Now, oh, I'm seeing Kim Dean there. Maybe you want to put this like right on Benny's forehead. You know? Right? Oh, nice. See? I read your mind. I read your mind. Okay. Um, Janine and Michaela are going to lead us now in a kind of a little bit of a practice of embodied presence, right? And this actually is going to be, be um, well, you guys are going to tell us what we're doing and why, right? Yes. Yeah. So we uh, do, we started doing these things with the kids and uh, I have these little cards and they're like mindfulness cards, but they have a, a animal and a movement associated with them. And we've been trying to do it at the beginning of our story time to kind of get the kids to, I don't know, focus in with their body and be able to pay attention to the story. And it's always fun to like impersonate an animal. And I've heard murmurs that sometimes the adults really like our little story time at the back. And so we included ourselves with all of you today. So we're gonna make you join us in our exercise. And we didn't wanna just do one, so we're gonna do two. So our first one, so kids, if you are in the, the audience, the parents might need help or adults might need help. So don't be afraid to show them how to do this, okay? So we're going to stand up. Uh, our first one is inspired by pigs, and we're going to do some belly breathing. So what you're going to do is you're going to put your hands on your tummy, and we're going to breathe in through our nose and out through our mouth. And you're going to feel your tummy go up and down. Okay? We're going to keep doing that. Michaela's going to lead you. Maybe she can come in the middle, and you can watch her breath go in and out. And I'm going to read you some questions to think about as you're doing this, okay? So here, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. What does it feel like when you breathe in? What about when you breathe out? What thoughts come to mind as you breathe? Okay. And that, yeah, just intentional breathing gives us the chance to kind of get back in our body and feel our presence. Um, so maybe when you see your dot this week, that's something you can do. You can do your belly breathe. Okay, so this one requires a little bit more movement. This one is inspired by the raccoon. And if you've seen raccoons, they scurry around, and then when you spot them, though, they kind of freeze, and they look at you with this skepticism, right? So we're going to do this by wiggling around, and then when I say freeze, you're going to be completely still. Um, and being still with our bodies is one of the easiest ways um, to access being part of the present. So just really focus on the present when you have become frozen. Is everybody ready? Three, two, one, wiggle. Freeze. Wiggle. Freeze. What does it feel like to be completely still. 
what are you thinking about while your body is frozen? And why is it so hard to stay still? That is our activity today. <laughs> oh, and if you're a kid, you can head to the back. We'll meet you on the mat. Love it. And as the kids are going back, why don't you just stand up one more time and say a greeting to someone near you. Tell them the best thing about your week. Two minutes to do that. Best thing about your week. Stand up. Chat. Go. I had with my mom. Several. She's in the hospital yeah. right now. Um, but was lovely. It, was she back at home now? She's back at home. Okay. For now. It's not. This is the journey. The journey out. You know. Um, but yeah. No. Just like and I actually recorded her. Like as she was like reading me her favorite prayers, telling me her favorite verses, and I'm like, I had no idea there was that spiritual depth there. So. It's amazing. Love it. <laughs> Best thing about your week? Uh, starting the new job. <gasps> like to call. Sitting with this this woman who was uh, the, sort of the first patient I got to see, and her daughter was standing sort of out in the hallway hearing our conversation. She just came in in tears, saying, "Thank you so much for just listening to what my mom's feelings and actually respecting what she's feeling right now, and like just this real deep appreciation for what was offered." And so that was like, that's one of those. That's why we're here. Moments. Yeah. So. And for that to just your first day on the job, right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. So that was pretty Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. It's awesome. All right, everyone, let's have a seat. I'd like to invite uh, Dave Zimmerman up. He is going to lead us in prayer. Yep, great. sheets rather than like iPads and things that everybody's that was that was how I knew that Matt was from a different generation right there is the song sheet reference I was uh, yes wouldn't that, we got we should do that. I have an overhead projector actually well we should do that sometime and actually like do a retro retro worship um so Kim asked me to come up and uh pray and pray through, uh, pray through some headlines in our world. Um, it was interesting because we sang the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, right? And the idea in that, in a lot of that, is that as we bring, uh, as we bring our th the things that hurt us to God, that he takes that pain away. Uh, the interesting thing is that I often find that as I pray, I, I am pained by things that... That somehow God, right, if I, if I don't pray about anything, often I don't have pain about anything. But it's when I think about 
the reality of the things that are going on in our world, suddenly I am encumbered with that pain. And, um, and I think that there is both the reality of us bringing the things that are painful to God and him uh, holding those things, but I think that there is also the reality of us as Christ's presence in this world uh, embracing those things as well because we can bring uh, some of that healing and we can understand what it means uh, to, to sort of carry that pain as well. So, um, yeah, so there, the, you know, I used to think that uh, praying through sort of the headlines was uh, much simpler than it is now because, of course, somehow I think that the headlines that I get aren't necessarily the headlines that you get. Uh, as we, you know, as most of our, our information is, is mediated through uh, Apple News or something that way. Um, and I just thought, you know, that a lot of my feed is, uh, my news feed has to do with movies. And I don't think God's really that concerned about whether the Fablemans wins the Oscar or whether it's Mission Impossible. Um, I don't think that... Uh, uh, I, I don't know how, somehow I, I have a lot of news about uh, England. I, the Guardian sends me news all the time about something going on in England. I always, and uh, the Kardashians, somehow. I, I clicked on something once, I think. But. Um, so as we pray, uh, I, want you to, uh, I want you to allow uh, God to guide your thoughts towards things that may be connected to what I'm talking about maybe have nothing to do with what I'm talking about because, uh, because as God encumbers us with the reality of the world around, uh, we can uh, bring all those things to God. And so it's not just what I'm praying, but it's what you are praying and what God is bringing to you in your heart as well. So as I pray, uh, I, will, uh, I will at times say, uh, Lord, in your mercy. And uh, you can respond out loud uh, by saying, hear our prayers. So let's pray together. Father, we pray that, um, that you would uh, now at this time draw our hearts to yours. That we would leave the thoughts that are intruding on us, the things that are just distractions, that we would leave those things in your hands. God, we pray that uh, you would... Um, guide our prayers this morning. We acknowledge that you are mystery, that you are powerful, that you are uh, separate from us and yet long to be present in us and with us and in our world, that through Christ you are completely present, that you are merciful and kind and forgiving. And so, God, we bring before you uh, these things that are going on in our world and in our community. We think about uh, the things that are immediate. We think about Turkey and Syria and the, uh, the many, many people, the over 45,000 people that have died in the earthquake there. God, we think about the pain that is going on in that country, in that area, Father, and uh, we think about the rescue efforts. We think about the little miracles of people who are still being found alive. And yet we are overwhelmed by, uh, by the reality of so many people who have suffered such great loss. And so we pray, Lord, in your mercy. We pray for the Ukraine. <clears throat> 
We pray for the reality that tomorrow marks one year of a war that has been going on, that is being fought in a place that is far from us and yet uh, impacts us and our world incredibly. Father, we know that there are geopolitical realities going on that are both uh, exacerbating that situation and um, driving it forward. And Father, we pray that you would, in your grace and in your goodness, that you would show up in that situation. Lord, in your mercy, We pray for the issues that we're unaware of because we don't get those news articles, Father. We pray for the things that are going on in smaller areas of the world far from us, things that we are unaware of, famine, drought, conflict. We pray for your presence there. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for the refugees that are driven from their home, looking for a better life in hope, desperate. We pray that, that those situations, God, where people are most desperate, where they're resulting, uh, where they're, they're, uh, there's human smuggling, there's human trafficking, God, we know that there is deep, deep pain in those situations. Though we don't know how to pray in those things, God, we know that you are present there. So, Lord, in your mercy, we pray for the natural world. God, we pray for an environment that is increasingly under stress and under strain. We acknowledge that we as humans have not been good stewards of what you have given us. That greed, that corruption, that a desire to make money has often motivated us to, uh, to disregard the world that you've given us. So for the groanings of this earth, Lord, in your mercy, We pray for things closer to home. Father, we think about the housing situation here in Vancouver, in this world, Father, as things get more and more expensive and more and more people are driven to the margins. We lift up what's going on uh, in our city with people who are uh, homeless, with people who are desperate for accommodation. We give those things to you, God. Lord, in your mercy, and the continued reality of the opioid epidemic, the toxic, toxic drug supply, those struggling with addiction. Again, for the desperate. Lord, in your mercy, And as we think about the pain of those in the world, 
the pain of those in our greater community, we cannot help but think of the pain in our own lives. The pain that we do carry for others and the pain that we carry for ourselves. We are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. Lord, in your mercy, thank you, God, for your goodness, for your grace, for your presence. Amen. Want me on the other side? Okay. How's that? I can go to the back. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get to the sermon, the message, the talk, I'm going to tell you what it's about so that in case you drift off, there's some slow bits, it's okay, um, you'll know what it was about. And it's really easy this morning. It's the, it's, this is called the last Sunday of Epiphany. So even the, the liturgical like church leaders knew that it doesn't even have a number anymore. It's just the last one. It actually is the seventh one this time, but it's the last Sunday of Epiphany, and next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. Um, so with that in mind, the Lenten season that we enter moving up to Easter, here's what the sermon is going to be about today. Enjoy yourselves. That's it. Enjoy yourselves as a spiritual call. That's what it's about, okay? Um, and I have an example of this from a memorial, like a funeral service I did yesterday. It was for a woman that I hadn't met, but I, I've met her daughter. And uh, this woman was 95 years old when she died. And uh, so I met with the family a few times to you know, plan the service out. And it became quickly evident to me that the woman who died was one of the most joyful people that most of people who knew her had ever known. They had a slideshow like they often do at, at services like that. And I was telling some friends this morning over coffee that it set a record, in my experience, for most photos of a person eating ice cream during a memorial slideshow. Like in her 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, just her with an ice cream cone smiling. And she was just full of joy. It was actually a relatively easy service to do because of that. It seemed that in her later years, she was so um, into joy and just feel, and she had a lot of struggle in her life, a lot of difficulty, um, but this joy was really present. In her later years, she seemed to have to reach out and take some of your joy to make it her own. So her daughter said that she went to see Elton John when he was last here, which I think was just within the last year, right? And so her mom, um, a few days later, with some friends, somebody said, how are you today? And this, this woman said, I'm really tired. Oh, what's she said? Well, I was at the Elton John concert the other night. She wasn't. She's like, I was at the Elton John concert the other night, and it was fantastic, but it really tired me out. So the end of the service, the pianist, like we did church songs too, don't worry, like Amazing Grace, of course. Um, but the end, as the family was leaving out, and as I walked down, you know, and go like... Uh, the song was really rock version on the piano of Crocodile Rock. 
And it was just fantastic. So enjoy yourselves. That's the sermon. That little preamble there doesn't count as sermon time because I haven't read the scripture yet. So here we go. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 7 to 19. Yeah, we have it there. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Spare details. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Verse 14, then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they'll fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, the sermon, and remember it's just, the whole point is enjoy yourselves as a call in Christ. But it could also be called religious people ask Jesus questions. Uh, and there's a reason they ask questions. Something has happened in their heart and mind before they get to him. And it is that they're confounded by him, what he says, and how he lives. And how he particularly lives the religious life. They have ways of seeing, and I want to stress this next point. They have ways of being faithful. They are faithful followers of God. Sometimes we castigate these really well-meaning people often. But they have ways of seeing and following God and when they see Jesus, he confounds these ways of understanding. He disrupts them. He upsets them. So on this last Sunday in Epiphany, the seventh, uh, we can see these stories as a way, actually, into Lent, even as we enter a season of fasting, letting go. This is a great door in. Two stories. The first is the call of Matthew. And the second is an encounter about food, like how often should we eat, or how, how often should we fast. Chapter 8, previous to chapter 9, obviously, the epiphanies have come through Jesus' encounter with a leper, a person with leprosy, right? With a Gentile, that's a centurion in this case, healing of the centurion's child or servant. And then with a woman, these, in, in the religious understanding of the day, these are all outsiders, Right? They're not people attached to kind of um, acceptability and power. A leper, a Gentile, and a woman. 
And already Jesus is confounding them because these are the people where the very, some of the first miracles are happening are outside the bounds of that understanding. And now it gets even lower, even lower than, you know, Gentile and leper and woman, even lower, tax collector. A tax collector was barred from the synagogue. They wouldn't be allowed into worship, right? They were forbidden to witness. Their word wasn't accepted as trustworthy in any kind of proceeding, legal type proceeding. In the description of the day, this is how it was described. Actually, it's translated, obviously, but this is the structure. Cobblers and murderers and tax collectors. Which, of course, your mind right away goes to where mine goes, I think. Why, why cobblers? But anyway, <laughs> those dirty cobblers. There are some reasons, but tax collector was a job that would go to the highest bidder. So they were a traitor to their people because, as you know, a tax collector was there to collect money on behalf of the occupying power. So the power which was despised generally by those people who lived in that area, right? The tax collector worked for that occupying power and took money from you to give to. So they have a booth. How do you picture that booth? Booth makes it even worse, right? Because Matthew's sitting at a tax collector's booth, and so you just know that most of that kind of daily interaction is people walking by just cursing him. Just like quick interactions. You, I have to be careful here. You, whatever, right? You can fill it in. And Jesus walks by. The leader. The one who is gaining this following at this point. And Jesus walks by and doesn't curse him. Says instead, follow me. Follow me. There's lots of speculation in here why Jesus would want Matthew to follow him. I mean, I can't imagine that Jesus looks at a tax collector and says, you've got what I need for my program. There's no job interview, right? Speculation as well on why Matthew so quickly follows. I mean, part of, so you've got to kind of put it in your own imagination. I think he follows the way I list, at least this week as I was reading through this, I think he follows because the fact that he's a tax collector means He's always kind of on the lookout for the next thing that will help him out. And he kind of sizes up Jesus quickly. And I think that could be good for me, following this guy. You don't have to give him like some spiritual proper motivation in the following. He just follows him. Maybe he's tired of being cursed. And then the scene shifts. Now it's at, and this is what the text says, the house. Well, what house? In most occasions, Jesus is actually at the house of a Pharisee or someone who's kind of prominent, who would have a place where many people can come. And there'd be an openness to kind of the invitation. So if Jesus shows up, he might bring kind of a bunch of people with him. And that's exactly what happens. So I'm not sure about that in this case, but that seems to be. Jesus goes and is having dinner at the house. We know one thing, it's not his house. He didn't have a house. So Jesus is having dinner at the house and tax collectors and sinners come with Jesus and partake in that meal. There might have even been some cobblers there. So many terrible cobblers. So right away, I think of, you might too, well, maybe not. 
but you should, of Psalm 1. The first Psalm. Some of you have it memorized. So if you grew up in youth group, sometimes this Psalm, particularly back in the day, could be used. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners, like walk in the way of sinners, or tread in the seat of scoffers, like mockers. And sometimes in my growing up, this psalm, rightfully so in some ways, was used to say, don't hang out with the wrong people. Don't walk in the way of sinners. And then, you know, whole lessons could be built around this. That's a religious text. I'm not saying that's, that's a text in our scripture. We're not saying don't listen to it. We're not saying there's no truth in it. But what does it mean in light of what's, what we're looking at today? There's a whole religious enterprise then that majors on division and separation because of chapters like the first Psalm. What I'm trying to say is, it's not all bad and wrong. There are, there's a part of the spiritual life that is about separation. But if you build a religious enterprise and a church and denominations out of that separation, but some people, they kind of hear this, and if you were raised this way, religious devotion itself becomes defined by how am I to kind of be apart. So there are people who are carrying these ideas, well-meaning people, let's give them, you know, the best of motivation. And Jesus comes along and he's doing these things that they just find confounding. Either way, whether it's right-meaning religious practice or whether it's an edifice that's built, the question will come, and it should come, and some of you might feel this here. Sometimes I feel like apologizing because it's similar themes that you hit when you're talking through the stories of Jesus Christ. Here we are again, separation, not separation. But it's the stories we have. Either way, if you have been raised in this way of thinking, you have kind of a few points of your relationship about this, right? You might be a good person, and you're growing up, you were defined as one of the good ones, which is a terrible burden, isn't it? I mean, if you're one of the good ones and you can be trusted to do the right thing and make the right choice. But on the other side, there's a burden of being the bad one or the not good one, right? The reason that both of those things are burdensome is they exist under that kind of umbrella that isn't very life-giving, which is, you know, the separation idea. So here we have the Pharisees, and they're going to ask Jesus this question. But they don't ask Jesus. This is, this is another kind of religious practice. Uh, now I'm going to defend myself. Many of the things that have kind of come my way in like difficulty, criticism, which is, which is great, all that kind of stuff. But often the stuff that's the biggest comes like secondary. So in this case, they don't go and ask Jesus the question. They ask his followers. So they go up to the followers and they say, how come your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, like, overhears the question. There's no, like, we're not given that this is some kind of spiritual magic. You know, he sees their hearts. I mean, I think he does, too. But Jesus overhears the question. He's having a good time with tax collectors and sinners, but he kind of takes his break and turns to the Pharisees and answers this question that they've asked not him, but his followers. 
There's a word for what the Pharisees are motivated by. This, by the way, this is the first time in the gospel accounts that the Pharisees have a speaking part. You know, if you're drawing it out as a play, these are their very first lines. And it's so great because their first question is, why does he break the rules? And again, give them positive motivation. I think they might have been asking for the right reasons. One commentary I read on this gives the Pharisees the name the serious. They're very serious about Scripture. They take themselves very seriously, which many of you have gotten to know me a little bit by now. The more seriously somebody takes themselves, the more it's like, okay, I've got to be careful here. But they're doing this out of a desire to follow God. And the word for what they're interested in is one that we should think about today. It's the word purity. Jesus is defiling himself, his followers, this faith, by eating with the wrong people. We need to be pure. Purity is what matters. How might this be displayed in our lives and understanding? Well, again, you may have grown up dominated by a question, what's acceptable to God? That's a purity question on some levels. Who are the good ones? Who gets in? Who are the pure ones? How have I been made impure? If if your answer, or the answer that somebody else is giving you in a religious context, to who is pure happens to be we are, or I am, which... Again, even if I give the Pharisees positive motivation, their answer to who is acceptable is that they are. That should always be a red flag to you. And it's a sign not of spiritual maturity, it's a sign of spiritual adolescence. For us as a church, for us as a people, for, our, for us to think, well, we're the ones who, we get it. Martin Luther, who himself was far from pure, was a virulent anti-Semite. I struggle sometimes even quoting him, even though he's such a key part of our faith, right? He put it this way. He said, beware of ever desiring such purity that you do not want to seem to yourself to be a sinner, for Christ dwells only in sinners. The interesting thing in our day, it's easy for me to talk about this today, because purity is no longer the exclusive purview of the conservative side or the political right. One of the reasons that I think people like me and maybe you can spot fundamentalism on the left is that we grew up with it, many of us, on the right. But right now in our world, purity drives many of the things we see on the left. What I mean is those things that the following words are unacceptable. The following people are unacceptable. If you even you know, quoted this person, now you can't be trusted in any way, shape, or form. And it is the case now that people are afraid to kind of operate. What? That kind of fear is a purity fear. I read an article just this morning. I was going to say it was in The Guardian, but I think it was in The Times of, of, the Times of London, still UK. And the article was on how Roald Dahl... You know, like, um, what are the, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, what are the other ones? Matilda. Yeah, there you go. See? Enjoy yourselves. 
well, I have a sad word for you. You need to throw out your old rolled doll books because they're being rewritten. And there are some things that, again, he was a troubled individual. Not a, like, super nice guy by any means, like times 100. But that, this article wasn't about that. This article was about how things like just really basic things are being changed in the books because they're now deemed unacceptable and impure. And you can read it for yourself. It's in the Times UK, and you can decide whether that's, that should be changed or that shouldn't be changed. Some of it, I was like, I think that should be changed. But in other cases, someone was a cashier in a book, and they changed that job to like an engineer. And I'm like, well, why that? It's purity tests. Purity is now, I mean, we've, many of us in religious context have lived it from that side where it was a religious kind of thing, a church thing. Are you pure? Now we live in a world where many people who've rejected much of religious understanding and Christian faith have picked up the purity stuff, though. We have an opportunity now as Christians then to say, you and you, here's the point of the sermon. Can't you just enjoy yourselves? Can't you just enjoy yourselves? And this is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's opening this epiphany if it's there. The, the way that I've put this before, so I'll say it again because it takes, you know, it's worth repeating. Understanding Jesus, living a faith in Christ, is driven by solidarity, not separation. Some of us have had a religious understanding dominated by separation and tried our best. But in this case, what's confounding is that Jesus expresses solidarity with tax collectors and sinners. He gives this answer. Sometimes I think he's just messing with people. So then we make a big lesson out of, because he gives them an answer, right? He says, it's not, it's not the healthy people that need a physician. It's sick people. So it seems like if you want to, you may have heard these sermons. He gives you, he kind of throws you a bone if you want to stay on the purity track. So he basically says, look, all these tax collectors and sinners, they're really sick people, aren't they? And the Pharisees are like, yeah, they're sick. But I think Jesus is just messing with them so that they go away. He's, he's making them kind of go, hmm, what's he saying? He's not just with them because they, they're sick. There's some kind of thing that needs to be fixed, which he's with them because he enjoys their company. <laughs> and they enjoy his, and they're compelled towards him. And what he's saying to the Pharisees is, if you think of yourselves as well, as healthy, then you don't need me. Which is a word to us. The second scene, briefly, it's more people asking Jesus questions, more religious people. But in this case, it's the followers of John. Um, so the followers of John the Baptist, who, John the Baptist was a severe dude. Like, you've read those things, right? Like, honey and locusts and his clothing and, like, he was hardcore. And so he was one of these guys that, and thanks be to God that these people exist, that, like, Following God is hardcore. And so you signed up to be one of John's followers and like you're going to have to be attracted to that kind of program. And so John's followers come up to Jesus 
And they ask, this time it's about food. They ask, why does your teacher not fast like us and like the Pharisees? Why does Jesus not fast like us and like the Pharisees? So the first story is who is acceptable? Who can you eat with? And the second story is what is acceptable? What kind of programs do we have to live? See, the epiphany here is that Jesus is the revelation of the fullness of God, not a series of rules or a particular way of practice. And in response, Jesus gives a metaphor. And again, I think he's messing with them. But it's a good metaphor. Um, This is also a Jewish way of answering questions. It's not to fully answer the question, just to kind of make the person think as, as they walk away. And the metaphor he gives is he says... It seems to me like you guys, um, you go to a wedding. You're invited to a wedding. Are you just like a downer the whole time? Like, do you walk around kind of, mmm, too many sugary treats over there? Or, you know, upset that people are having a good time? I just briefly looked at Jen because she's not going to like this next illustration, but I won't name names. Um, so what I thought of in this was... Jen and I celebrated our anniversary last weekend, 31 years now. And um, it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah, and, but, um, um, and uh, at our wedding 31 years ago, at uh, our reception at the Cap Golf Club, we had a dance. So there was a DJ, that was just a friend of ours, and we made a playlist. I don't even know if that was a word then. It's like in between mixed tapes and playlists. And some friends at the wedding, wonderful people, I won't name names, for the dance part, they just stood and watched. Now, many of you go to weddings and you stand and watch because you're like, I don't want to dance. I can't. No, no, don't drag me out there. That kind of thing. But in this case, some of these people were people who otherwise would have danced, but they couldn't. Why? They'd signed a document at a school that they were attending at the time that at the time said no dancing was allowed and they're wonderful people who were going to follow their word if they sign a document. And so now, granted, I'm thinking back to the songs. One was Right Said Fred, like I'm too sexy for my shirt. Uh, And ACDC shook me all night long, that kind of thing. And they... Stood on the side. I want to be careful about being heard to say that Jesus is with me or us and not them. I don't feel that for one second. In fact, I admire religious devotion that says, if I give my word on something, I'm going to stand by my word. But these are purity tests. And Jesus, in being with the tax collectors and sinners, and in these kind of questions around fasting, is offering this one thing, freedom. (laughs) Freedom. In fact, it turns out, as we enter Lent, freedom is what allows you to best take up the spiritual practices. Because you take them up, but you don't invest in them all kinds of meaning. You You don't take them super, super seriously. It allows you to see something bigger. Jesus is about freedom. Now, 
So now I'm picturing, you know, what does it mean to say enjoy ourselves? And I look towards the right or I look towards the left and you can kind of say, um, can't we just enjoy ourselves? It would be like saying, and I, know th and I know this is bad because this is one thing I hate the most, so don't do it to me thinking it's funny. Um, and that is if, if you're really upset and then somebody says, like one of my sons, 25 or 23, just relax, <laughs> right? It is, there is nothing in the world that could be said at that moment to make me feel less relaxed than that. That thing is going to set you off, right? So I'm not saying in our world that we need to say to everybody else, just relax. I'm saying we actually need or we're invited to enjoy ourselves. To enjoy ourselves as part of our faith. Jesus says, you know, you don't, you don't kind of, while the, while the bridegroom's there, while the wedding party's there, you don't walk around all somber and, right? So some religious people, Christian people, have said, well, now Jesus isn't any longer with us, so we can be somber again. That's not what he meant. If you're living this faith in Jesus Christ, he's present in your life, one of the Christian calls of your life, and I think it's a key one, enjoy yourself. There's so much good in this life. There are so many things to enjoy. Doesn't mean you don't care about the causes, but you're freed. If we, I haven't been using sermon slides lately, but if we were, I just want to leave you with two quotes and they would be up there so you can picture them. This is, again, Karl Barth. He puts it in the negative first. He says, a gloomy, morose, and melancholy Christian can obviously attest only to a gloomy, morose, and melancholy gospel. And then puts it in the positive. And as we move into Lent, to take up even our practices in this way. Whatever else may come between the morning and the midday and the evening. So that's a day, but it's also a life. Whatever may come between the morning and the midday and the evening, the work of the community... Our work, I think Cap's pretty good at this, but the work of the community must always be unconditionally bright. Unconditionally bright. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for those encounters, those days. And I want to thank you for your love for those religious people who asked you those questions. Give us ears to hear. Help us to um, love and put up with the super, super serious people in our lives. But help us also to know that our desire to enjoy this life and enjoy our faith in you is part of our call. So help us to see. And bless us as we enter this season of Lent in Jesus' name. Amen. Julie is going to come up and uh, share Epiphany, and then there will be time again afterwards to interact. So um, uh, here's a, another story, and I've just had a trailer for it. So thanks, Todd. Um, I'm often not nervous talking to you. Um, 
but I'm nervous telling you this story this morning. Um, this story has um, quite a few parts to it with an inciting event in the middle. So I'm going to just start with that. And it starts with Kim emailing me and asking if I had an epiphany to share with you. And I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, I do. I have a story I can share. Um, and that's not the story I'm going to share with you. Because <laughs> the story that I had in my mind to share with you was simple, and it involved nature, and it was wrapped up with things like hope and promise, and uh, it felt easy. And as I was thinking about sharing that story, another story in my life um, got brought up, and it's this story. Um, a few caveats before I share the story, just a bit about um, how I grew up. Um, I, not, like, not big deal things, but like I grew up going to a Lutheran church, which meant that um, my Sundays always looked the same. Um, they involved um, hymns and set order of service and gum from my mom's purse and um, something I could, like a crossword puzzle probably that I was writing on and then I go down to Sunday school. And I did that all the way growing up. Um, and then I um, worked at a camp later on as I got older and had some um, really amazing experiences with Jesus and community that I hadn't really experienced at that church growing up. And uh, when I was about 21, I um, was going to university and I had an opportunity to do a placement. I was an occupational therapy student. I had an opportunity to do a placement in Thunder Bay. And one of my friends from camp was going to school in Thunder Bay, and so it seemed like this really great idea to go out to Thunder Bay and spend six weeks with my friend and um, sauna. If any of you know anything about Thunder Bay, it's a very strongly Finnish community, so lots of saunas, and spending time with my friend Deb. And it was great. I had a great time when I was there. And one of the experiences that she wanted me to go on with her was to go to an event at her church. And, um, and so I said, sure, great, sounds great. We had lots of adventures together, and this was going to be one of those adventures. And it was at night, and it was at a big theater, and it was basically a revival. And so I go, and I had never gone to anything like that before. Um, the music was awesome. As you know, I love to sing. I love to play piano and being able to sing with a group of people that were really, really excited and um, energized was an amazing experience for me. And then after that time, there was um, a speaker or a pastor that came to the front. And um, this all sounds very tropey, but anyway, this is what it is. And um, said, I'm going to lead you all in um, a time of prayer before the Lord. So I had never had a prayer before the Lord before, but I was like, okay, like it's the prayer before the Lord, okay. And so we all, I can't, this part I can't totally remember, it's more like feelings, but um, so it's, I don't know if we were bowing our heads or standing up or raising our hands, I can't quite remember that, but it was basically like, you're before the Lord. So I was like, okay, I'm before the Lord. And uh, you, you're bringing something before the Lord. Everybody tonight has something to bring before the Lord. You know how, I, if any of you have been there, like that's how it kind of feels. And so I was like, okay. And, 
And it's like, bring that thing that you've not brought before, whatever it was, but it was like, I had a very dark, deep shame in my life. And nobody knew about it as far as I knew. And, um, and so when he said, bring this thing before the Lord, that's what I brought. So I had this image in my mind. I'm a very imaginative person. Sometimes gets me in trouble. But I was bringing this big, dark shame before the Lord. And, uh, and then this man said, and now what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that thing that you brought before the Lord? And I was like, I don't know. Um, and in my mind, what started happening was I envisioned myself running. So I envisioned myself running down a gravel road towards the Lord. And then the guy at the front says, there's someone here tonight and they have brought a deep, dark shame before the Lord and they are running towards him. They're running towards the Lord tonight. And I'm like, holy crap, like that was me. And I'm now like, now this, like I was just, and I just start, you know, wet snotty bawling and all that kind of stuff. And in that moment, I felt tremendous acceptance and exposure. I felt very, very exposed. And through the years, the reason I didn't want to share this story is I feel very, very conflicted about that story. And as I've gotten older, I've wondered what's real about it. What was just my imagination? What was a series of maybe, maybe manipulation? Maybe someone going like, oh, there's probably going to be 10% people here tonight if we're going to have shame. So, you know. And maybe there's, like, so lots of me questioning this experience and the reality of it and the validity of it. And so that's why I didn't want to share it with you. And... Uh, So as I was thinking through this story, um, is, is it a thought? Is it a sound? Is it a voice? I don't know. But the thought was, um, you haven't run to me like that in a long time. And that's my story. Thank you, Julie, for that vulnerability, for all of it. Uh, and church, you get a chance to respond now with um, a word of affirmation for Julie, a word of resonance, like, oh, that connects with me. I understand that. We have time for a few responses, just a sentence or two uh, would welcome that as part of our way of, of processing what we've just heard and uh, letting the truth of it sink in. So anyone who wants to respond, just wave your hand. I'll bring the, I'll bring the microphone to you. Yes, Jenny. Will you stand up so that we can see your lovely face? Thank you. Hi. Um, thank you very much, Julie. 
Ah. All right. Thank you for your vulnerability. And this morning, um, as I was sitting here and listening, realizing what a sinner I am and have been for so much of my life and still am in so many ways, but that that's why God came to us. And in listening to, to um, Todd this morning, that's who he's here for. And I was so thankful in a way that as hard as I hate I, what I hate about it, I am so thankful that I'm a sinner. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you, Jenny. It's interesting how vulnerability begets more vulnerability, right, Julie? Thanks, Jenny. Would someone else like to respond? Share before we turn to God in sung worship. Yes, Shelley. I'm not even sure I know how to articulate this, but we're close to the same age. And I, I hear the wondering, how much was me? How much was God? And that resonates with me and some of my own experiences. So first, I just wanted to name that, that I think maybe that's part of a spiritual journey, right? That we have these things, and sometimes we just don't know. And maybe it's just a mix. And there's still things in my life I, I, I can't always, I don't fully know how to dissect them, understand them, but there's still a gift in them. And I hear a gift in that in you. And I feel a gift of God in the middle of all our humanity and our own not sure how much is me, how much is God, and that somehow he's in the middle of all those things anyway in a really human, I don't want to say messed up, but in a very messy way. And I find that really comforting and really encouraging. So I feel blessed by what you shared today. Thank you, Shelley. All right, last call. If you've got something you might like to say in response. Yes, Rhonda. Uh, Julie, I just want to say really big thank you for your courage. And it's just inspiring all of us to step out into that vulnerability and be human and that relationships. I just want to say really big thank you. And I know that your words have not fallen on rocks on fertile soil here. Thank you. Thank you. And now Julie gets to come up and <laughs> sing. <laughs> and Robbie, too. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for your responses, for your receptive, for your receptive posture. God is good. Over to you, Matt.
All right. Well, thank you, Julie and Todd. It's um, it's good to know that the the mercy of God takes our sins and our our terribleness and just completely overlooks it and says, uh, "Enjoy yourself." I enjoyed myself. <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy this song. Just stand up. Praise the Lord, His mercy is His mercy is more. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait? As we constantly roam, what Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakness, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood near the death that we could never afford our sins they were many his mercy was more praise the Lord Our sins they are many, His mercy is more. 
sins they are many, His mercy is more. sins they are many, His mercy is
Thank you, everyone. Um, feel free to just to have a seat for a moment while I do a few announcements before we head out today. Let's take the offering now, um, greeters. So as the offering baskets are passed, just want to remind you, you get to take something as well as put something in, should you wish. Take a, take a you are here dot in order to help you with your um, practice of presence this Lent. I can tell you it works because I've looked at my phone twice during the service and had some moments of remembering God with me. So take a dot, please. Uh, take some little magnets to remind you when we meet also those, those calendar cards. Um, you will know if you're paying attention that two weeks from now when we meet will be March 5th and we will be at K Meek Center because the pipe shop isn't available, so please remember not to come here in two weeks' time, but come to K Meek. Thank you so much for all the ways that you offer yourselves to this community. Thank you for your financial contributions. Um, there are tax receipts available. Kathy, our faithful bookkeeper, wants you to know that they are available for you. She's completed them, and they're they are available on the back table. Uh, we are still accepting funds in contribution to our mobile church fund. We're over $10,000 right now, which is great, plus the fund matching. Uh, we have a few weeks left. We would very much value your donations towards that. What you've donated so far has allowed us to purchase a trailer and chairs. These chairs are rented. They cost us about $650 a pop every time we rent them. Next time we meet here in the pipe shop, we'll have our own chairs, right, Amanda? It <laughs> doesn't sound very exciting, but it is actually kind of exciting. Um, so we welcome your donations towards that. Thank you also for the ways that you offer yourselves in service. We have lots of ways for you to help with PowerPoint, with um, helping to set up sound, with helping to set up chairs all kinds of ways for you to contribute yourselves. So please um, email Amanda, lifeatcapchurch.ca, if you'd like to help out. Or if you'd like to help out but you don't know how, we can find a place for you, I assure you. I think those are all the things I needed to let you know about. Um, that's it. So how about you stand with me, friends, and I will bless you as you leave this place today. So friends, as you go, may you know Christ is with you, that there's no separation between you and him. May you know Christ with you into those places where you work, where you play, where you know that you, may you know that you are enough as you are, that Christ loves you and accepts you and forgives you for all those places of shame that you hold. Christ takes them and transforms you in his presence. So go in the peace of Christ. Peace be with you. Thank you. And would you extend to one another a sign of Christ's peace as you leave this place today? Greet one another with a hug or a fist bump or a hello. Try meeting someone new today, perhaps. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. <laughs>